Hey guys, Montel here, and welcome to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. In this special edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel, we're going to explore Leafly's strain of the year. As any regular cannabis consumer can tell you, not all cannabis is created equal. In recent years, most consumers have generally divided cannabis into one of three categories, indica, sativa, and hybrid, based on general outcome of effects and how they feel from these products. But however, the industry experts are now saying that these terms really are meaningless, that when tested in a lab, there are no identifiable characteristics consistent with these terms. What is generally consistent is the effect and the profile from a particular strain. Now, here to talk to us a little bit more about this and also help us introduce the Leafly Strain of the Year is Leafly's Director of Science and Innovation, who holds a PhD in Neuroscience from Harvard University and a Bachelor of Science in Genetics from the University of Wisconsin, Nick Jacomas. Thanks so much, Nick, for being with us. And also Leafly's California Bureau Chief and co-host of The Hash podcast, David Downs. Thanks, gentlemen, for being with us. Thanks, Montel. Thank That's you. Cool. No, thank you both. Thank you both. So this is a big time of the year for Leafly, right? I'll, I'll throw that to you, David. It's the biggest time of the year. It's such a obviously terrible winter, but cannabis has been a bright spot all year. It's been labeled essential since March. People have been turning to it for wellness and health relief. And at the end of the year, we can look back and say, wow, even though we had such a terrible year, cannabis was not deterred. It made strides and inroads in 2020 like never before. And one of the bright spots for me was the development of new strains, the release of new strains, the experience of cannabis continued to approve in 2020. And we culminate that at the end of the year with our strain of the year. And we've seen, I mean, I think one of the things that you're really pointing out is that, you know, cannabis has pretty much been, you know, COVID resistant in a sense, you know, from the standpoint of, you know, it's one of the only industries that's actually seen an uptick. We've seen the proliferation of more and more cannabis being delivered to people in the states that it's legal in. And I think more people have made a choice recognizing that being stuck at home with a fifth of liquor isn't really as beneficial as being stuck at home with, you know, an ounce that may last a little bit longer, right? That's what I think. I don't know. We've seen uh, that. It's not just a thought. It's verified in the sales data. People shopped less in person, but when they shopped, they bought more. And mature cannabis economies like Colorado saw month over month increases of like 38% September to October. You're like, who's left in Colorado that doesn't have a bag? Well, uh, it turns out that it still had new people coming into cannabis in the back half of 2020, as well as longtime illicit market users who didn't want to go to their guy's house in the middle of a pandemic. They'd much rather get delivery, safe takeout, safe curbside. A lot of the safety innovations were happening at the stores. Absolutely. Well, you know, I think in general, you know, well, we take a look at what just happened November 3rd. I mean, the election proved that America has spoken again. You know, five new states that have passed some form of cannabis regulation that, um, you know, leaves a few now. I mean, it depends on which one you count, but I'd say for 34 states in the District of Columbia, we only have 14 more to go, 15 more to go. And we may be at a point where you know, this new administration is going to have to do something, especially if it happens in the next two years. Georgia, early voting starting. If if the Dems get Georgia, Biden's going to have federal de- like descheduling to sign on his desk. Uh, it's never been a more pivotal time. Descheduling THC as a Schedule One d- drug equivalent to heroin was 
uh, passed by the House for the first time in history. You know, um, the federal government since the 1930s might not be treating marijuana as equal to PCP, which no one thinks it is. Um, and things are definitely bubbling. Well, I think, you know, maybe, maybe Nick, you can comment on the fact that the UN just passed a resolution, but they not, I think, pulling out of that 1961 treaty. Yeah, I think, you know, what you're seeing in the U.S. and globally is a shift in this direction. I think people around the world are recognizing and have recognized for thousands of years, frankly, that cannabis um, shouldn't be treated as an illegal substance on par with things like heroin and PCP, as David mentioned. And, you know, one of the things I'm very excited about as a scientist is if we can get to the point in the next year or so where we're going to take the schedules of drugs and change them so that cannabis goes from schedule one down to something lower or hopefully descheduled completely, that's not only going to be the right direction politically, but it's also going to open the floodgates for more research to happen. And that's been something that's really been held back for decades at this point. And well, I tell you, you know, in some ways, you know, you look favorably at and you think, you know, keep your fingers crossed, things are going to change in the right direction. But then you have to recognize that six months ago, the president-elect, you know, said that he still thought cannabis was a gateway drug. So we clearly have something that we need to get done right now, and that's educate this president and this vice president. And let's also remember, you know, come from a state of California, California being a state that has had, you know, legal cannabis now for years, you had an attorney general who was behind watching the rise every single year in arrest for small quantities. I, I, I was shocked um, when I did some research and realized that, it was 2019 was the first time that we saw a slight downtick in the number of arrests for just simple possession. You know, and that's a half a million people a year have been arrested or give or take, you know, 600,000 people. And yeah. uh, meanwhile, at poll adult use legalization polls at 61%, according to Gallup, medical polls at 91%, according to Gallup, clean water doesn't poll at 91% in America. It's the, the policy is more popular than any party or any politician in the last election. And it totally makes sense for people to wonder, like, is the system broken if it's taking this much agreement to even move it forward that tiny little bit? And for the people that are wanting to hold Biden's feet to the fire and Senator Harris, um, I would also remind them that he speaks for a still 45-ish percent of the country who does still have legacy knowledge about the gateway drug. Here in California, the majority of cities and counties banned local cannabis stores after we had fully legalized in 2016. Uh, there's a lot of local work to be done. There's a lot of work to be done among our community members in our own homes and in our own hearts. And that's that change percolates up and sticks a lot better than the top-down reforms. Everyone's hoping will swoop in and save us. Well, you know, and I'll, I'll throw out a little Good question, though, and maybe both of you can you can take each one of you can take a shot at answering. But you know, when we look at cannabis, and we really stop and think about, you know, what are we going to have to do to make a change? It seems to me just like, you know, we have those who are doubters and naysayers to climate change, those who are doubters and naysayers to. COVID vaccines, those who are doubters and naysayers to any form of science, it's as if you can't beat the door in with, you know, some sort of a, you know, some 
tool to break it down. We can't seem to get people to understand that the science has been here and has always been here supporting cannabis. What's it going to take to get people to change their attitudes? I mean, I think, but personally, you know, I think it's magazines like yours, Leafly and organizations like that that are putting out more and more information to educate, to see if we can get some sort of a consensus in this community beyond the business consensus. I don't know if I'm making my point, but, you know, everybody has been so focused on making a dime for themselves and nobody gives a damn about the future. I'm being honest. This is the way I feel about it. I've been to so many cannabis, you know, conventions and, and, and seminars and it's all B2B. We have a huge B2B process going on and most of the B2Bs are hiding that little secret sauce that helps make their business a little bit more successful than the one next to them rather than come together as an entity and say, it's time for us to lobby together. What's it going to take to get us to start thinking a little bit? I, I, look, everybody needs to make a buck. I get that. But what's it going to take to get us to start understanding that that rising tide does lift all boats rather than be the one boat sailing by yourself? Up, yeah. I, go, ahead. Oh, go ahead, David. Okay. I'll start. Um, I've been on the beat since 2010 and the one thing I've seen change hearts and minds more than anything else that really kicks open the door is when someone in your life has a condition for which medical cannabis benefits them. And if it's your like wife or your kid who's sick with cancer and CBD is working, you are a evangelist for that at that point. And that's like the sheer medical efficacy of cannabinoids on the health and on the wellness side uh, tends to be its own advocate. And that's why it continues with this inexorable march. That's why Mississippi is here legalizing medical marijuana, finally, you know, and medical marijuana as a policy is in the scientific backwaters of the country in the Midwest and the deep South. So that arc of efficacy continues to bend people to cannabis. Um, how do you amplify that? I think we do live in a time where you can get Leafly, the app on your phone. We have access to true sources of information more bipartisan people who are saying, yeah, cannabis works. I think it's making its own case. And if it wasn't effective, we wouldn't be here today because Lord knows they've waged a war to prevent us from being at this point. And cannabis has won that war. Remember, you still, you turn around, cannabis won that war in South Dakota and then South Dakota turned around and now there's a whole movement there to get that overthrown. We see that, we see that, you know. Uh, and we, we need to see it. We need to start talking about it. What really ticked me off, I think, after this election is as much as, you know, the fervent chasm that is now caused in America, you know, with those who don't believe in, you know, democracy. But, you know, we had five states at the same time pass legislation. How many news stories did you see on the national news talking about that? Montana has adult use. It's like, I, I mean, when's the last time you heard that on NBC Nine News? When did you hear that on CNN? When did you hear that on Fox? When did you hear that on MSNBC? One American News. You didn't hear it anywhere. It's almost yeah, it was like a little column on page five of the journal A section, like, oh, all these states legalized. And you're like, yeah, yeah. I, I was a little bit blown away by the fact that we didn't hear, even if it was, I, I wanted to hear the naysayers saying, how dare those, uh, those buttheads pass laws? To, to allow for more cannabis, but that didn't even come out. It's almost as if what you were just talking about when you were saying, yeah, the more and more people are personally touched by this, 
the more and more they become individual advocates and the, and the bigger the voice. But I'm seeing some of those people who are supposed to be the biggest voices staying silent. You know, that mother and father who know that this is helping their child aren't talking to the local news. They don't have a, they have a venue like you, Leafly, to talk to, but they won't pick up the phone and call you. I, I, when you see the rise in the numbers of people that are having home deliveries across the country in states that medical cannabis and cannabis is available, where is that 30% of extra people? Where are they? I, I kind of feel like, you know, I, I did back in 2002 when I came forward on national news and said, I'm a cannabis user. You could hear a pin drop. I didn't hear Hollywood come out behind me going, I'm glad somebody finally said something. Back in 2002, when I was saying, geez, you know, do you guys understand that the federal government has just given themselves a patent on this drug, something called CBD that we now know helps? Pin drop. It took till 2010 for people to start saying, I know somebody who smokes a little bit. Stop. When they go home and smoke themselves. Yeah, man, I can feel you. Like when the House passed the Moore Act, I thought back to 1967 in San Francisco and these hippies going, hey, man, we think gay people should be able to love who they want and grass should be legal. And, and I called some of them and I was like, did you think it was going to take this long? And they're like, you know, I honestly didn't think I did. <laughs> yeah, but how do I mean, so what do you think? I mean, what do we have to do to get more and more people out there to become zealots to start talking about something that they're doing? Well, I do think, you know, as David said, um, to echo some of those things, I think a lot of it is education. And I think a lot of it is, you know, consumer to consumer education as well. Um, if you're a cannabis consumer or have been and, and you've been in the shadows for a long time, just be upfront with your family and your friends about the fact that you are a responsible consumer. Um, talk about not just the medical side of it, not just the recreational side of it, but this is also a freedom issue. Like we're all adults. We should be able to ingest something as long as it's not causing harm to others. Um, talk about the way that this can impact things like the opioid epidemic. There's millions and millions of people affected by a drug that's highly addictive and deadly. And we know that cannabis can help people start to come off of opioids. So I think there's a wide range of uses. There's a wide range of reasons why we need to keep moving in this direction. And, you know, a big push from that comes not just from companies like Leafly speaking out through a megaphone to the people that use the app, but also just people to people conversations. You know, there's all kinds of people from all walks of life who are cannabis consumers and they consume it responsibly. And I think, you know, one major thing that any individual listening can do is just make sure that, you know, when you're ha to have these conversations, don't stay silent. You know, if someone's talking about it, just just tell your story. And we've got to get people, more people to tell the story. I mean, it's very interesting when you were talking about, you know, cannabis as an exit drug for opioid addiction. I did a show with Dr. Oz almost three years ago where we had doctors on from several hospitals in the New York area that were studying this. And then one doctor who's actually profoundly was moved and said she didn't believe it herself, but recognized that cannabis was probably one of the best gateway drugs or exit drugs from opioid addiction. And I thought three years ago, my goodness, this is going to be something that's going to reverberate. People are going to finally stop and say, let's start talking. Boop, silence. <laughs> I mean, crazy. But I'm glad that Leafly's doing what it's doing and trying their best to educate people. And that's what we try to do here at Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Try to make sure we get as much up-to-date information out as we possibly can. 
get people to understand that this is something that they don't have to fear. So let's do a little education today on this podcast. And, you know, I want to start basically with the basics of, of all basics. Let's go to layman's terms. You know, you picked or Leafly is picking its, its, its strain of the year. I want people to understand what the term strain means. It's really funny, but you can say that in a conversation. And, you know, if, if you're at a dinner party, you look around the, the group that you're talking to and six out of seven don't know what you're talking about. So let's break it down. Let's talk about what are strains? What is a cannabis strain? Go, Nick. Yeah. So I like to explain this to people by analogy with dogs. So think about dogs, right? There's big dogs, there's little dogs, there's hundreds and hundreds of dog breeds out there. And that's because we've had a relationship with canines for thousands of years. So humans basically domesticated wolves. And in just a few thousand years, which is not that much time on an evolutionary time scale, we've been able to breed hundreds and hundreds of different types of dogs. You've got really little ones like Chihuahuas. You've got really big ones like Rottweilers. And they not only look different, they have very different personalities. They behave differently. So by analogy, humans have been cultivating cannabis for thousands of years, and we've bred a lot of diversity into this plant. So just like there's a bunch of dog breeds that have different sizes, shapes, and personalities, there's many different strains of cannabis or types of plants that have been bred to have different physical features, such as how tall or how short they are, how big the buds are, and so forth, but also different sensory and chemical features, the way it smells, the way it makes you feel. And the thing about cannabis is because it's been illegal for so long and we've had a lack of scientific research and data for so many decades, there's been uh, some misunderstandings that have, that have propagated themselves through time. So people historically and many consumers still to this day have believed that the way that a strain looks physically is t- telling you something very specific about how it will make you feel. The basic idea is that the short stout plants, usually called indicas, are the ones that are going to be more sedative or relaxing, whereas the tall, thin plants, usually called sativas, are going to be the breed, so to speak, the type of strain that is going to make you energized or uplifted. What we know today and what we're starting to learn just in the last couple of years is that when you look at the chemistry data scientifically, the chemistry of strains doesn't correspond to their physical features that well. So there are many different types of strains, different cannabis breeds, so to speak. They have different chemistries, and that means that they can cause different effects, but those chemical profiles don't necessarily correspond to the physical features of the plant. It's sort of like if you were to look at a chihuahua and you never saw one before, you would probably think, oh, what a cute little dog. I bet it has a very nice cuddly personality. But a lot of, a lot of times chihuahuas can be really mean and aggressive. Conversely, you might see something like a St. Bernard or a really big dog and think that, that, that looks scary. But those dogs can often be very loyal and friendly. So the way that something looks doesn't necessarily tell you about how it's going to behave. Gotcha. And that's where, you know, when we go back to the original definitions of indigo sativa and hybrid why don't you talk a little bit about that because that really was more based on the characteristics like you were saying of the the physical characteristics right yeah that's correct so you know breeders have been growing cannabis illicitly for decades in the shadows because they had to Um, but there's been so many people so passionate passionate about breeding new types of cannabis that they needed to develop some kind of nomenclature to talk about it and when you're growing the plant you really need to pay close, close attention to the physical features of the plant. You need to know whether it's tall or short to know how high your lights need to be. You need to know 
um, how big the buds are going to be or how long it's going to take you to go from a seed to a harvest. And so a lot of the nomenclature that developed, developed around the physical growth features of the plant for that reason. And because we didn't have the scientific tools to really study it, that's the best we could do for a long time. I'm a word geek and I always try to go to the origin of the words to get meaning. And cannabis indica just means like weed that was cultivated in India, like in indica just kind of like referred to this section of the world. And certainly they were growing it in the Himalayan uh, foothills called the Hindu Kush. And that's where a lot of traditional indicas um, are sort of considered from. And the environment there is very like extreme. It's hot and dry and then the monsoons come in. And so the bud developed to uh, flower faster and be shorter and oilier. So it wouldn't desiccate in the heat and it would perpetuate itself before the monsoons. Conversely, uh, cannabis sativa just means cultivated cannabis. It like, it's from Linnaeus, it's from the mm -hmm. 1700s, I think. And it just literally means like weed that humans grow. So indica means weed from India and the, the oldest assignation of the term and sativa meant human domesticated weed. Uh, and so these terms have been taken and ran with to mean a different thing. Um, in general, sativas did get associated with more tropical plants where the sun shines all year long. You don't have to worry about those monsoons, but you have more humidity, you have more solar radiation, you have bigger mold problems. And these plants would grow taller, slower, airier, so that they didn't have to worry about flowering fast. They did have to worry about getting rid of heat and moisture and avoiding mold. And again, so you end up with some physical characteristics tied to a name that human beings are like, maybe this, it, it, it's tall and it, I feel spacey. So this is the spacey one. Turns out we needed gas chromatographs, a lot of stuff from the 20th century to start teasing apart everything that's in the plant that's causing these effects. So, and then of course a hybrid is some sort of a crossbreed of the two of them. Yeah. And, and these days there's been so much crossbreeding and hybridization over the years that, you know, it's not uncommon to, to hear a bud tender say, well, everything's a hybrid. You know, you're very unlikely to run across a true original sativa or a true original indica, whatever that means. Everything is in some sense, a partial hybrid. And that's also made it difficult. Something like two thirds of the strains in the Leafly database, for example, are classified as hybrids. And, um, we're moving, you know, uh, just wanted to build on that in one way, but uh, lost my train of thought there. Um, anyway, keep going. No, no, we're talking about hybrids. We're talking about hybrids. Everything almost starts. Yeah, and then so um, we're moving away from the word strain. We're hearing a lot of people. A lot of people use the word cultivar now because strains are more associated with varieties of viruses versus in the actual plant world. You talk to a gardening journalist, for example, and they will tell you, Joanna Silver, who does our gardening grow videos, that. When the way potheads use the word strain, actual gardeners use the word cultivar. And so you're gonna see cultivar used more as strain gets phased out. And certainly it's been a gnarly year, like, oh, it's a new strain of COVID. Ah, that sounds bad. Um, and beyond cultivar, another good way to think about this is just like wine. There's a bunch of varieties. Mm -hmm. And so they're all wine grapes. And so when I'm writing and I get tired of using the word strain, I start using the word cultivar. I start using the word variety, varietal, to get at the diversity of something that comes from the same lineage. Excellent. Excellent. Let me take a little break, guys. I've got to pay some bills. Tell you, you're filling this, this podcast up with great information. Uh, I'm going to take a little bit of a break, come back, and then let's keep talking. We're talking today to both Nick Jacolis, Jacolis, 
sorry, make sure I get your, your name right. Nick Jacomis. Is that right? Is that what I'm saying right? Yes, that's right. Okay. Jacobus. And David Brown. David Brown is the Bureau Chief of California for Leafly and the co-host of Hash Podcast. And Mr. Nick Jacomis is a PhD scientist from Harvard trained and a Bachelor of Science in Genetics from the University of Wisconsin. We'll take a little break, pay some bills, come on back. Let's talk a little bit more, especially about your strain of the year. We'll be back right after this. Again, thanks guys for tuning in to this special edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel, where we're going to explore Leafly's strain of the year. You know, and as a lot of regular cannabis consumers out there can tell you, not all cannabis is created equal. And today, we have Mr. Nick Jacomas and David Brown. David Brown's Leafly's California Bureau Chief and co-host of the Hash Podcast. And Nick is a PhD scientist, neuroscientist, who has been uh, trained at Harvard University and has got his Bachelor's of Science in Genetics from the University of Wisconsin. Here schooling us on really the basics of cannabis and helping us see if we can raise everybody's education or, or knowledge level enough to number one, appreciate Leafly's strain of the year, and number two, be able to have some information that you utilize in conversations as you were talking about, you know, the virtues that you've been able to find yourself from cannabis use. So thank you guys so much for being here today. Thanks, Montel. Thank Absolutely. Look, you know, um, let's, let's, let's back up just a little bit again and go back. How many, how many strains do you think there are out there right now? I mean, Lord, I want to look at the fact that we now have 34 states in the District of Columbia and every single dispensary in all of one of those states has probably about 30, 40 different, 50 different strains in there that are all 50 different strains made from product that they made in their own state, supposedly. I mean, right there alone, that's, uh, you know, what, uh, 1,500, right? I mean, how, how many strains do you think there are there? Nick, they- well, I like to think about this on the one hand as how many strain names are out there in the consumer marketplace. And on the other hand, how many distinct chemical varieties of cannabis are there within that group of strain names? Now, in terms of strain names, you're absolutely right. There is no regulation here. You can you can come up with a new name for a product, whether or not it's actually a new strain or cultivar. And so there are thousands. On the Leafly Strain database today, we've got over 3,000 distinct strain pages, which mean that there's over 3,000 strain names out in the marketplace that you're going to find on product labels if you go to a store. An individual store might have dozens or even hundreds. Now, that does not mean there's over 3,000 unique types of cannabis out there. That's not true. If you actually look at the data and you look at the chemistry from all of the lab data that's out there, and that, that's something that we have done at Leafly, there's really only a handful of distinct chemical varieties of cannabis. And so even though there's thousands and thousands of strain names, there's really a much smaller but workable diversity of chemical types of cannabis that you're likely to find. Just a few different profiles that all of those individual strain names will map onto. Yeah, so it could be like your neighbor and your dog, you know, two dogs getting together. You don't like have a new like lab mud be like, that's a brand new breed of dog. We have dubbed this the Highland Lab, you know, and, and sold it on the market as the Highland Labs. You're like, wow, there's a new dog breed. Actually, you know, someone, there was just two strains got together and someone branded it and marketed it. Uh, that's why we're seeing what we call the, the name gain or the, or the strain game right now. But when we look at the individual, let's, let's call them cultivars for a second. Yeah. We know that based on how they are grown, who did the growing, where the lights were, 
you know, they express themselves with all the varied components in a different way, right? I mean, you're going to have, you know, one, I don't know, uh, one uh, blue dream that, uh, you know, might be a little bit higher in THC, a little bit, you know, that has the touch more CBD in it, maybe a little bit more CBG that was left over that didn't go out in. Looking at the terpenes, the terpene profile is going to be entirely different. And then the, you know, flavonoid profile is going to be entirely, entirely different. So would every single individual bag be an individual different new strain? Well, or- it is it is possible because, you know, there's nothing right now you know, it's not like another industry. If you go buy a bag of apples from the grocery store, there's a bunch of rules and regulations baked into what you can call that type of apple. You can't just put golden delicious on any old bag of apples you want. There's actually rules and regulations that industry has established that define what type you can refer to your apples as. That doesn't exist in cannabis. So if you go buy Blue Dream, the same uh, the same store, you can walk into the same store and buy two different Blue Dream products from two different brands. One of those might be Blue Dream, the genuine cultivar that has a particular type of genetics. And it's going to have a particular profile that can still vary from grower to grower because environmental conditions can vary. But another another product might be labeled Blue Dream. It might have the Blue Dream strain name, but it might be a completely different strain. And someone just chose to call it Blue Dream because they know that's a popular name and thought it would sell better. So we need better rules and regulations around that. But even then, like you said, there's environmental variation. So if two different growers have the exact same seed from the, the you know, that sprung from the exact same mother, um, you can get variation in THC levels, minor cannabinoids, and even the terpenes just based on the environmental conditions. Maybe one person grew it outdoors versus indoors. Maybe the nutrients in the soil were different. And so at the end of the day, what you really want to know is what kind of profile does that specific product have? And if you can start to get a handle on that, it'll be a much better way to figure out how it's going to affect you. Another thing that's going on is people are hunting for stability and reproducibility at the highest level. So if you go to Europe and you go to the GW Pharma Farm where they're growing weed just for Epidulex, the CBD tincture for kids with seizures, they have strain number 14592 or some numbered cultivar that they have created a standard operating procedure around propagating and cultivating such that they're trying to get the same mix of molecules at the end every time. Mm -hmm. Um, And that those guys are kind of the furthest along in that reproducibility, uh, stabilization, they call it, of a particular chemotype. That is the fingerprint of the chemicals in a plant versus here on the West Coast in California, our strain of the year is runts. And you're going to see fake runts that test at 15%. You're going to see real runs that the cookies companies will tell you is 25%. And you're going to see a lot of just gelato that got relabeled runs. And mm-hmm. you need to be aware as a consumer that that's going on until maybe 20 years in the future where you are going to go in a safe way. And the blue dream you buy on the herb shelf is going to be the same chemo type every time because there's a factory pumping it out in the desert or whatever. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I want to add that it isn't completely random. Um, so a really good grower. So if you find a good grower, what you're going to be looking for is consistency. I would say that's one of the main things. And I can tell you from looking at data from thousands and thousands of samples from thousands of producers that a lot of these producers, not all of them by any means, but the good ones can get a nice consistent strain every single time. So if you look at um, a really talented grower growing Blue Dream and they've got the real deal, 
it's going to be a THC dominant strain with very little negligible levels of CBD. And it's going to have a very specific terpene profile high in something called myrcene and pinene. And never mind the details. The point is that a good grower and a good brand will produce a really good level of consistency from crop to crop. Now, the trick is as a consumer, you got to figure out who, who those good producers are because they don't all operate that way. Yeah. And I remember before I became a cannabis journalist, I was just a buyer and some like the guy would be like, oh, I got this lavender and this OG. I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever, man. It's all weed. Strain names aren't real. Um, and then you sort of become a journalist and you see all this weed and you start to see like, wow, this is clearly different than this. This is what Blue Dream looks like. This is what Jack Herrera looks like. This is what OG Kush looks like. And you realize that it's life. And so life has variation, but it tends to vary around a focal point. Mm -hmm. And if you can expand your mind and be like, strains names don't end all be all mean everything, but they count. Indica sativa hybrid isn't like the end all be all word, but it counts. If you can be more comfortable with the fuzziness of the meanings, you're going to get a lot further. And then, yeah, start exploring what terpenes you actually like, which are the aromatic molecules in cannabis that are shaping the effects in many, many ways. Right. And working with, yeah, I got you. Now, so, you know, where, when did Leafly decide to start, you know, putting out its basic strain of the year? When, 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 what year is this for your number for your strain? It's, I mean, we've always done a pretty good job of tracking what's hot, but we formalized the strain of the year in 2018, I believe was our first one. I think it was gelato. 2019 was wedding cake. And in 2020, we realized we really wanted to blow it out because end of the year is when you do your retrospectives, typically in journalism, we're in the cannabis space. Why wouldn't we look at what was the top of the charts, just the way Billboard does for music or Auto Driver does for SUVs? Uh, it seemed like a real natural fit to start combining the qualitative side of what we were seeing as subject matter experts in cannabis and the quantitative side of what Leafly was seeing as the world's most authoritative strain database in terms of what people were searching for we realized that we were in a unique position to say, this is the strain of the year, the way Pantone says, this is the color of the year and put our flag in the sand and create meaning for consumers who don't have very many sources of information about quality. You got a bud tender saying, this is good. You got a cannabis cup winner saying, this is good. There's just not a lot of objective sources of, of quali quality information for people. Strain of the years, if you get your hands on some runs, you should give it a try. If it's good runs, it's going to be great. If it's fake runs, at least, you know, you, you search for it. And runs is primarily where is the best place to find your version of runs or the strain of the year version of runs? Yeah, that's a great uh, story with an interesting uh, or a good lesson for people. Um, right now, you can go to the cookies brand stores in California, and they are the official grower and seller of runs as it was conceived by the runs crew. That is the original marketers and breeders of the Runtz strain. Uh, but since 2018, the Runtz genetic, either cuts of the flower or bag seed from Runtz, has gotten out into the wild and growers across the country and now the world, as well as seed makers, have their hands on either real Runtz or fake Runtz, and you're going to find it all across the country. So in cookie stores uh, in several legal states, you'll have the official Runtz. And then you will have unofficial runs from any numbers of, of growers. And those can be really good. So in California in 2019, the winner of the biggest uh, cannabis award in the world, the Emerald Cup, was Ridgeline Farms from Southern Humboldt County. And they grew a runs, Ridgeline runs. It was so good. They effectively beat cookies at their own game. 
And in 2020, Ridgeline came back as an official grower of cookies runs. And you can go get Ridgeline runs, you know, powered by cookies in burners on hate in on hate street in San Francisco sort of today. And uh, if you go to Leafly and search, you're going to start seeing where the runs is locally. And if you were to get the COA on it, what does it break down look like of runs, uh, Nick? Yeah, it's really interesting. So runs is very pungent. So before you even get into the science and the numbers, if you go buy a bag of runs, so I actually, I bought some a couple of weeks ago, I got pink runs. I just opened the bag in my room and I was accused of smoking in the house. So the smell should really, really hit you strong. It smells wonderful and very pungent. So that's coming from a very strong terpene profile. And on the one hand, Runtz has a terpene profile that is very common. It's one of the major families of terpene profiles, profiles that you see, and I'll describe it, but it's got that profile with a twist. So it's an example of a high THC strain with very little, almost no CBD. So you're going to get it at 20% or higher a lot of the time, but it can come in lower than that. And that's okay. And you're going to have a particular terpene profile. Now, the major terpene in runs, the two big ones, are called beta caryophylline and limonene. And that's a mouthful. But the thing to understand is this is one of the most common profiles in cannabis for terpenes. So many, many strains will have those two terpenes. Beta caryophylline is really interesting because it has anti-inflammatory effects. It's the only terpene that's actually known to act as a cannabinoid. And it acts on something called the CB2 receptor in the endocannabinoid system. And again, that's a mouthful, but every time you hear CB2, you should think anti-inflammatory. Drugs that activate CB2 tend to have anti-inflammatory effects. That includes beta-caryophylline, the terpene. It also includes THC. A lot of people forget that THC actually has some medical efficacy itself. It's not just about the recreational side. And so you've got these two compounds that can have an anti-inflammatory effect. And then you've got a compound called limonene, which is found because of its name. You can guess that it's found in lemons and limes. And it's got a citrus aroma. People think that it smells very nice usually. And there's some evidence from animal studies to suggest it might have beneficial effects for anxiety. That, that work has not been done in humans yet, but there's actually clinical trials going on right now looking at limonene and what effects it might have on humans. The twist for runs comes not from the THC, which a lot of strains have, not from the caryophylline and the limonene, which a lot of strains also have, but it also tends to have relatively high levels of this third terpene called linalool. Linalool is a really nice flower, flowery, floral smelling terpene that's found in lavender and other flowers. Um, it's used in perfumes. People think it smells really nice. It's commonly associated with relaxation, but it's really this combination, this bouquet of the cannabinoids like THC and the terpenes like linalool, limonene, and caryophylline that are going to give runs its specific personality. Gotcha. And so if you're looking for a runs in someplace other than California, another city, and you can get them to give you the COA on it. Mm -hmm. Kind of take a look and see what those levels are. What kind of what's a ballpark level of of uh, linalool you should be looking for? Maybe the first thing I, I recommend to consumers is don't focus so much on the percentage. Focus on the top three terpenes. It's almost like a chemical fingerprint that tells you about that strain. So in the top three, you want to look for beta caryophylline and limonene in the top two, and then see if linalool comes in into that third position. Now for the total terpene content, of a strain, if you're getting total terpenes at 1% or higher, that would be considered a very terpy strain that's going to have a very strong terpene profile. But look for those top three, 
caryophylline, limonene, and linalool. And if it's coming in above 1% total terpenes, then you know that's going to be a pretty pungent strain. I would add that uh, we did like a strain similar to Runts on Leafly News and some other runners up. And uh, the parents of Runts are worth looking at, of the gelato and the Skittles. You're going to find a lot of stuff you like there. And then specifically in the gelato line, you're going to see a replication of the Runts chemotype. So look for gelato, look for GSC, look for Thin Mint Girl Scout cookies, although it's just called cookies now. Um, even Gorilla Glue 4 will, will get you halfway there in terms of that particular chemical fingerprint. And if you can't find runs, oftentimes you can find gelato or its crosses or those cookies and start down the path to the runs experience. Yeah. And that's really why if you start to understand just a little bit about the cannabinoids and the terpenes, you can start to liberate yourself from being, uh, being beholden to all of the strain names and all of the marketing tricks that are out there. If you start to understand that a strain like Runtz is pretty similar to a strain like Gorilla Glue or Gelato or Cookies, just like David described, now you can walk into any store anywhere and find something that you know will work for you because it's got that profile. So you're not, you're not dependent on finding just one strain or just one brand. And it also feels like we are finding like something in the ether where like this particular chemotype is resonating the most with homo sapiens. There's like through just the pure market analytics that it's throwing off, human beings really like THC, beta caryophylline, limonene, and linalool. They're getting euphoric. They're getting relaxed. They're getting uplifted and they're getting soothed. And in 2020, that sounds like something we all could freaking use. And it's no surprise, really, that the market has spoken, the mass sort of the big data picture of all these people and all these strains lands here. Yeah, just to, just to riff on that, one of the things that was really interesting to me is we took a bunch of data at Leafly. So Leafly has got an enormous amount of consumer data, chemistry data, and online sales data. And one of the things that we did to help select strain of the year this year is we wrote an algorithm which looks at how many people are looking at the strain pages, each, each individual strain page, how many people are buying these strains online, and how many... Uh, how many people are searching for and interacting with this strain on Leafly. And we especially looked at how fast all of those metrics were growing year over year. So which strains are growing the fastest in the minds of the consumers, what they're looking at, what they're buying. And what we found is that actually the top 10 strains that got the highest score across those factors, according, according to our algorithm, they all happen to have that same basic terpene profile pretty much that same chemical fingerprint that David described. They were all high THC strains that had high levels of beta caryophylline and limonene. And most people don't realize what the chemistry is because it's not on the bag. Uh, that wasn't part of our algorithm, but it was an interesting output. We just looked at consumer preferences and how fast those things were growing. And it seems to be that for some reason, this profile is resonating a lot with consumers right now. Absolutely. And, then, and it started to have something to do with you know, the, I guess the overall psychological profile of America of people right now, I guess, because, you know, people are sitting at home, you know, they, they don't want to be zoned out, but they want to be able to still be able to interact with others and, and, but have a mild euphoria. And then at the same time, like you were saying, for those who need a little relaxation, it probably is probably helping out there a little bit. People want to be able to calm down a little bit. That's probably helping out. So it's really good. Now, what do you guys, this, you, you were just talking about 2020. 
you know, almost ready to come to the end. What are you looking at for 2021? What do you think the next year has in store for cannabis? I mean, what are, for cannabis in general? I know I just uh, did some lobbying in South Carolina uh, a week ago with um, uh, the Marijuana Policy Project, uh, talking to one of the senators who's responsible for moving their bill forward. Um, what do you think the next couple of states may be that might break through? Uh, we are working on our 2021 predictions right now at Leafly News. They'll be out next week. Uh, we were just scored our 2020 predictions, and we were pretty good. I think uh, the Rona threw every prediction for 2020 uh, for a loop, um, and we saw that throughout. Like where we were wrong was because you know we had this other big problem this year. Next year, uh, states that um, didn't make it this year and can't go to the initiative process in 2021, we might see um, reconsider cannabis legalization in the legislatures. So back in the legislature in Pennsylvania, back in the legislature in New, uh, New York, you're looking at states in the Midwest there in the Eastern seaboard where there might be enough, might, might be enough like room, room in the legislature to move this, like the Connecticut's of the world, places like that. That's where we're looking at. And then there's a bunch more that are gonna run in 2022 as an initiative. They'll be back on the ballot in Florida. They'll be back on the ballot in places, Ohio, Idaho, places where there was that Republican chicanery that kept it off the ballot for this reason or that this year. And you're like, I see that, we're, we're, we'll be back. Right, right. What do you think, Nick? Um, on the consumer side and on the innovation side, I'm really excited. I think we're gonna start to see a lot more and, and much faster innovation in terms of the types of cannabis products and the types of strains that are being bred. So today, you know, ballpark, 85, 90% of the flour that you see on a dispensary shelf is going to be THC dominant, neg negligible amounts of CBD and other minor cannabinoids. You know, 75 to 80% of it is just going to be that caryophylline limonene terpene profile or a myrcene pinene terpene profile. I think what you're going to start to see and what we're starting to see in some of the lab data that's just starting to come out is a lot more innovation in terms of the chemistry and the effects of products. So you're going to start to see strains and other products that have minor cannabinoids that are playing a more prominent role. Things like CBGs, things like CBC. You're going to start seeing breeders and producers experiment with other terpene profiles that aren't so common today. And that's going to mean new strains, new products that have new effects and new sensory profiles as well. They're going to, they're going to smell different and they're going to taste different. So I'm really excited and I'm really optimistic that 2021 could be a big year where we start to see that happen a lot faster. I want to build on that. Um, we're going to see those rare cannabinoids like Delta-8 or CBG, especially isolated and put into edibles and sold as specifically as effect-based edibles. Um, we are seeing like big data and genomics target gaps in terpene profiles and like breed for plants that have smelled like nothing that's ever existed before. Mm -hmm. um, the, those, the, the problem is those plants are going to face a market where consumers have a much more awareness of the cakes and the gelatos than they do of these new and emerging ones. And there's a marketing juggernaut behind some of the traditional strains on their trajectory. So in 2021, we are watching very closely ice cream cake and Gushers and apple fritter and Cushman's and Sherblato. I'm giving up game here. Jungle cake, geranimals, gelinade. Uh, we are still, we're in like the fifth generation of cookies crosses and people can't get enough of it. I do think we're gonna see more apple flavored strains sort of continue to gain. Uh, what's exciting is that like fashion strains, it's not 
like hit and miss. There are genuine trends that rise and fall over time. You can see it in the data. You can see an old classic strain fall off. You can see a new one rise up. And part of that's marketing, but part of it is actually connecting with the market. And so we mm -hmm. expect to see extensions of traditional trajectories in 2021, 20, even as we see some of these new, these never before seen or even fathomed flavor profiles come to market. Yeah, I completely agree. You're going to see new stuff, but you will definitely see a lot of the cookies, the cakes, and the glues stay strong in 2021. Um, people just love those strains, and they're actually becoming more popular. Yeah, cookies has been one of my favorites for quite a long time. As a matter of fact, when I put out my own brand, and this is really very interesting because I would tell you something. I put out a a a brand myself years ago that uh, literally we were one of the first to literally try to push our terpene profile in a gel cap and edibles up to 5%. Hmm. We were pushing in. And again, I was at three different formulations, but formulations for the morning, afternoon, and evening, and was in that exact same world that you're talking about in the beta carolophyll and lenalu and uh, lamanine. So um, yeah, very, very, very bad. I guess I was, I was a little bit ahead of my time. Yeah. I think so much of that is where the consumers are at and how fast they're going to get there. The science is pulling ahead um, 80, like cannabis crop science is running 80 years behind, but it's catching up like villages that never had any tech and now have cell phone towers. And it's so head spinning that I think there's going to be cannabis products coming on the market that don't get you high, that you don't have to smoke. They're not even going to be built as explicitly cannabis per se. One of the weirder things this year was seeing hemp, smokable hemp flour, very terpene-rich smokable hemp flour appear in Georgia truck stops and a lot of prohibition places because of the farm bill and hemp CBD being different than THC. Um, all the innovators around terpenes that were supposed to be making type two THC CBD equivalent cultivars, they all just went into hemp and made terpy hemp that people are smoking now. Like it's rolled in cigarettes, and it smells good. Um, and so the, the, that, that 21 future is be so far beyond the word cannabis and the modality cannabis. It just really makes your head spin. Well, I'm so excited, my friend. And thank you so much. Thank you both for sharing with us. And again, we're going to call it. So you're calling Runts is the selection of the year, right? Cultivar of the year. You are the year. year. <laughs> you heard it here and you heard it on Leafly, but I'm, I'm so happy you guys decided to come on and, and share that with us. And I, I want you to know you always have a home here. You know, I do a lot and try my best. I don't know if you've seen uh, the recent book by uh, Dr. Bonnie Goldstein. Have you seen that book? Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. No, we love Dr. Goldstein. I had Dr. Goldstein on recently. And um, also in the last couple of days, we've been having some, you know, uh, doctor level, you know, scientists on talking about you know, horticulture in general and how that can translate into our space. And I'm glad that there are people like you, Nick, that are really bringing this knowledge home for, you know, a community that needs it so badly. I, you know, anything you want to add? Either one of you? I mean, just to pivot on what you just said, you know, I think there's, there's still a lot of room and we still need a lot of help in this industry for people that have a medical background or a science background, you know, whether that's on the botany and cultivation side or the, the biotechnology and hardware side. So the actual biological engineering side of it, but also the hardware and tech side of it. Like there's a lot of innovation going on in this industry at all levels. And it's not just 
people who've been growing pot for years. It's scientists and engineers from multiple disciplines who can contribute to innovation in this industry. They just passed something today that allows for uh, laboratories to now go and purchase products from dispensaries rather than having to import it from overseas or out of, out of did that just happen today? Yeah, I mean, the way to think about it is the federal government erected like a mountain of barriers to prevent us from ever finding anything good in weed. And now those barriers are going down several feet. It's like cannabis still has to run the race with both of its arms tied behind its back. And it's amazing they ever found any efficacy under the rules as they're written. But yeah, the rules are getting better. And that's where I want to land on for your followers and listeners is a message of hope and fortitude going into 2021. Um, cannabis was essential and it charged this year. If you uh, want to get into the industry, bring your talents in. Um, we are in the middle of a, a brain sort of blossoming in, in terms of smart people entering cannabis and bringing it to more people. The strains are going to keep getting better. The industry is going to stay essential. It's going to continue to employ people and safely serve people. And that healing is going to continue. And it's going to be for more people in more ways than you can imagine. So um, don't be depressed. Don't worry about how it's going to turn out. Just get up and do the work. And, and how, you got to have hope, as Harvey Milk said. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's really very interesting. Again, the, the level of science that is coming to the table and wants to become a part of this, I think is really what's going to set the standard for 2021. And I'm just hoping that, you know, anything I can do to help you and anything, you know, you can do to help me. But I, I really wish that this, this movement you know, all of those who have been so silent to date start opening up their mouths. It's going to take, you know, again, I, I go back to that silly saying of a rising tide lifts all boats, but we got a tide right now and people swimming by themselves. We need to get people swimming together in groups so that we can all make a biggest bang as we can. Yeah. Come out of the closet, run for city council, run initiatives in your town. Um, you know, this year sh showed me that we have a lot of civic engagement to do. We know the work ahead of us. The, the lack of cannabis policy reform is just a feature of a broader problem of disengagement. And so at every level, this is our government. And if you want to see your values reflected in your community and at higher levels, this is going to be the time to lean in and, and show up at the table and come out and do the work. Because I see the people running for council. I see people running the initiatives. I see people politically controlling their environment. And they do make a change. It is happening. It's out there. Absolutely. Well, I tell you, he is the Leafly Director of Science and Innovation, Mr. Nick Jacomas. And also, he runs his own podcast, Hash, it's called the Host of Hash Podcast, David Downs, who's Leafly's California Bureau Chief. Guys, thank you so much for being here, being a part of Let's Be Blowing Montel. Anytime you want to come back, you know you always have a home here. Same. Thank you, Montel. Thank you. And good luck to you. And I, I really, go out and get some of that runs. Yeah, buddy. Enjoy right. it. You, you made it. Take care. Be well. Later. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments. Uh, 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 uh.